Good morning. How are you guys doing? You guys sound like you guys are doing well, kind of, a little bit. Cool. Hey, my name is Josh Revalle. If I haven't met you, I'm the college pastor here. Um, so it's a little bit of a faux pas on what today is, but first, because I'm the college pastor, I'm going to acknowledge the graduating seniors. So if you're a graduating senior, can you raise your hand real quick? I know there's only a few of you. Okay, cool. Give it up for them. I think the rest of them are, uh, you know, procrastinating, so finishing up all their stuff right now during church. So, and they decided to skip because I was speaking, you know. So, like, we, we hear too much of him, so let's not come today. So, um, you know, the good thing, I know most of our graduating seniors as I should, and uh, most of them are staying around here in Austin or trying to, and so we have a few marketing majors that are trying to stay around, so if you work in marketing, uh, we could use some help having them stick in Austin, because we would love to have them around. And so you can come see me after service. That's my one plug for college. I have to do it every time I get up here. So, um, but we're going to miss those that are leaving. Like I said, most of them are staying around, so we're excited to have them staying here. Um, but it's also another special day. So happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. And give them a round of applause for the moms. <clears throat> So I think for, uh, for most of us, today's, today's a great day. It's a one day as a mother that the world acknowledges how awesome you are. I think every other day is a pretty, uh, it's a pretty thankless job, particularly when you're um, changing a dirty diaper or taking care of a sick kid in the middle of the night or changing your shirt for the third time in a day because the baby spit up on you again. Um, not that my wife has any uh, experience with this right now. Uh, or you become a personal chauffeur to school or to soccer practice or to little kid parties. Um, or you tell your kids no because it's what's best for them. Or when you try to do what's right, even when you're sure not what, what right is. Or when you pray and pray and pray for your children who seem to have lost their way. Most days, no one's standing there and applauding you for your faithfulness and selflessness and sacrifice. Um, but today, we wanted to say thank you. Thank you guys for being great mothers and for standing in the gap for your children and loving them well, uh, even when you don't get a thank you back. Um, and then for others of us, you know, today can be a sad or a painful day. And so um, my mom actually passed away five months ago today. Um, so for me and I think for other people that have lost their moms, today is a little bit of a sad day where you have memories and um, realize that you're not going to make more memories in the future with that person. And so today can be painful. And then for others of us, maybe you haven't lost your mom, but maybe you're estranged from your, your family or from your mother. You don't have a great relationship. And so today is not a reminder of something that's great, but of something that's painful. And then for others of us, we're estranged from our children and we're moms and we mourn that. And, and so today, again, we're not, we're not thinking of all the great memories, but the, the memories that aren't, aren't occurring. And there's other people in the room that... Today is a painful reminder that they want to have children, but they just they can't or they couldn't. And, um, you know, due to infertility or for some other reason. And so, again, today is another reminder of what cannot be. And in the scriptures, in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus starts off is what, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And throughout the New Testament and throughout the whole of the scriptures, we get to see this picture of a God who comforts us in our mourning and is, is in a compassionate God. 
And so if you're in any of those last categories, what I want to say to you is that God loves you and that in your pain, my prayer is that you would not experience him as a distant God, but as someone who is near and dear and is close to you. And so um, I'm going to pray real quick for our moms in the room and and pray for all of those categories. God, I do thank you for Mother's Day. God, I thank you for this day that we can get um, to to have specifically to remember moms and celebrate moms, God, for all the things that they've done for us, God. I know that for me, my mom has made an indelible mark on my life as she was my best friend. And for many of us in this room, we got to experience our moms as, as best friends. God, I also pray for those in this room that today's a painful day. God, that we would experience your love and your comfort and your grace and your mercy in just a a special way today. God, in our moments of pain, that we would experience you as near and as close. God, we know that you mourn as we mourn. And so may we experience you in a new and a fresh way today. Um, God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to actually continue our series in Acts. So we've been going through um, Acts 6 through 12, a series called Sent with Love. And so uh, just a, a quick reminder, our, our key verse throughout all of Acts, our theme verse is Acts 1-8, which says this, but, and it should be up on the screen here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the gospel actually go to Judea and Samaria. And today we're going to see the gospel actually continue to go into the ends of the earth. And we're going to see it spread in an unusual and unlikely story as this man named Philip actually goes and has this interaction with this man named the Ethiopian eunuch. So when we last left Philip, he was actually uh, in Samaria. So he was hanging out there. He was actually preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. And we see in Acts 8.12, it says this. It says, But when they believed Philip as he had proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So we see that God is clearly working in Philip in Samaria. He's seeing people come to faith, and we're seeing a spiritual movement occur. And yet, in the midst of this spiritual movement, God actually calls Philip into a new work. And so, we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. So, I'm going to just read the first couple of verses, and then we'll stop there. In chapter 8, verse 26, it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the, of the K thing. Yes, that. Which means queen of Ethiopians. <laughs> so what is God doing here? Why does, why does he have Philip leave a vibrant spiritual movement in Samaria to meet an Ethiopian eunuch on a desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza? A key thing to note here is throughout, the writing, throughout his writings, whenever Luke introduces an angel of the Lord, 
into his narrative, he desire, it's desiring God's special presence and activity. So immediately, we're tipped off that Luke, uh, in, by Luke that God is doing something special here in Philip. So the question is, what is it? What we're about to see is that in the beginning of the Gospels, is that um, in the beginning of the Gospels, in Acts 1-8, it talks about the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth. And what we're about to see is that we're about to see the gospel begin to spread to the end of the earth here. And so um, a little background or history with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is obviously from Ethiopia. So the question is, what is Ethiopia? For us today, it's actually it's a small um, country in Africa. But back then, Ethiopia would have represented anything south of the Nile in Africa. So actually, generally, it's a large region. And during that time as well, they would have actually, writers um, during this time, would have actually written of Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. So there's several examples of that throughout, um, not, not only in the scriptures, but also throughout Greek historians and writers during that time. Um, and so God is sending Philip to the ends of the earth to have this conversation with the eunuch. Simply put in the words of theologian I, Howard Marshall, he says this, the church did not simply stumble upon the idea of evangelizing the Gentiles. He did so in accordance with God's deliberate purpose. So I think a couple of things we learn about God really quickly here in Acts 8, 26, and 27 is that one is that God is intentionally pursuing all of humanity. In Psalm 67, uh, verses 1 and 2 and verse 7, it says this, May God be gracious to to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And then in verse 7 it says, May God bless us still, and hear this, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. We can see even in the Old Testament that God is actually beginning to work. And he's working for the salvation of all of humanity, not only one specific people group. And that's essentially what the story of Acts is about. It's about this story unfolding, this missional narrative unfolding, where God is actually reaching the entire world. So the question is, how is God going to reach the entire world? And simply put, God is actually using us to pursue all of humanity. And so if we read in Matthew 4, 9, Matthew 4 19 through 20, this is Jesus actually speaking to He's calling his first, his first disciples, and he says this. He says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So it's interesting. Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, had this end in mind, that these disciples would go out and that they would actually pursue other people and actually invite them into having a relationship with God. What's interesting about this, too, is that Jesus... This is the first thing that he actually calls his disciples with. He uses the mission to actually call his disciples, and he sees that as something that's compelling. And for the disciples at this time, they actually find it to be so compelling that they're willing to leave everything, their family, their, their profession, everything in order to follow Jesus. And that's what we see here in Acts. Acts is, the, is this promise that he will use them to reach all of humanity coming to fruition. And so God is pursuing all of humanity and using us to do so. Now, if it's true that God is, in, is 
pursuing all of humanity and using us to do so, then the question has to be asked, how should we pursue others? And that's essentially what the rest of this story of Philip and the, and the Ethiopian eunuch is about. It's about his pursuit of this eunuch. And I think there's some timeless principles that we can see here in this story. What we're going to see is that Philip actually connects with this eunuch personally, finds out where he's at spiritually, and then begins to share the good news of Jesus in light of where the eunuch is at. And so we're going to dive into this text and see what, what we can learn from Philip and his interaction with the eunuch. So in chapter 8, verses 27 through 31, it says this. It says, So he, Philip, started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So we see right away that Philip starts off, and he goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And on the way, he meets this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. And immediately, we learn some pretty interesting information about this Ethiopian eunuch. One, we learn that he's Ethiopian. Two, that we learn that he's a eunuch. Three, that he's influential. So we learn that he's over, he's basically the national treasurer of Ethiopia. Um, Four, we learn that he's come from Jerusalem. So he's coming from Jerusalem where he'd gone to worship. Five, we see that he's hungry to learn more about God. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And he had actually gotten a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, which back then was hard to get. This wasn't readily available. So he had to actually, he, he had to have some money to be able to purchase that. So we find out that he's obviously wealthy because he's purchased this scroll. We also see that this man is curious uh, about who God is, but also kind of confused of who he is. Um, and then last, we see that he's wealthy. So we see that he has a copy of the scroll, and then we also see that he's in a chariot. And the way that chariots would have worked back then is he would have had servants that were actually carrying him across. And so these servants, um, he was wealthy enough to have a chariot and to have servants and to have a copy of the scroll. So we get to see a lot, a lot of things at the beginning of this interaction with Philip. Um, and Philip asks the eunuch a question, and the next moment he's being invited to sit with the eunuch. So the question I have when I read this text is, how did Philip so effectively connect with this eunuch that he finds out all this information and then gets invited up to sit with him? I think there's a couple things that we see here. One, the power of the Holy Spirit. God is clearly at work, right? He's told Philip what to do, and Philip obeys. Then we also see, and this is a little bit with the same way, but that there's a little bit of the right, right time, right place scenario, right? So he's on this road. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scriptures. He comes along at the right time. But then the last thing, I think, is that Philip actually discovers the story of the eunuch. He spends time with them. He figures out who he is and where he's at spiritually. 
You know, he learned a lot of information about this eunuch, it seems like, in a short period of time. And this is a bit of conjecture because this isn't necessarily stated in the text right here. But it seems like Philip's genuinely interested in this man. Interested enough to actually ask questions about them, about him, and actually feel like he has a story that's worth telling. And based on the eunuch's invitation, it seems like the eunuch actually is receptive towards Philip and his conversation. And what's most fascinating about all these details that we get about this eunuch is that later we'll find out that the only, the only interaction that Philip has with the author of Acts, Luke, is actually in Acts 21. It's about 20 years later than this story occurs. And so what happens is Philip is actually telling this story to Luke 20 years later and actually has such incredible memory to remember all these details about this eunuch. It seems like from this story that Philip is incredibly interested in getting to know this man and who he is. So for us, if we want to effectively connect with others and communicate the good news to them, we actually have to want to learn how to discover their story. Another way to say this is we have to learn how to become great conversationalists. In a blog on a website called the Thought Catalog, uh, they had a blog that said the 13 little-known secrets of great conversationalists. And I want to highlight a few of those secrets. The first is that a great conversationalist learns to ask meaningful questions. So the art of conversation is ultimately dependent on asking good, good questions. You know, ultimately, a good conversationalist knows that they don't talk about themselves because, quite frankly, people don't want to hear you talk about yourself all the time. People love to, one, talk about themselves, but two, they love to be asked good questions. And a good question actually opens up other people um, and allows them to talk about themselves and allows you discover, to discover more about them. Good questions allow us to go beyond the surface level to what's deeper within people. And I think Philip knew this. That's why when he walks up to the eunuch, the eunuch's reading Isaiah out loud. And so he could, he could assume something and begin to speak into it, but instead of assuming something, Philip begins with a question, not a statement. I don't think it's only Philip that knew this in the scriptures, but I think Jesus knew that question asking was important for connection as well. In fact, we see in the Gospels that Jesus actually asked 307 unique questions. And in return, he's only asked 180. So he almost asked two times as many questions as he's asked himself. In fact, in many of Jesus' most meaningful interactions, we see him asking questions of others and pulling out deep insights from their life and figuring out a lot about them just because he asks questions. And so if you want to be a good conversationalist, or you want to discover somebody else's story, you have to begin by learning to ask good questions. So how do we do that? How do we learn to ask good questions? If you struggle with something like this, a good way to learn is just to practice, Right? I mean, simple enough, just ask questions. You interact with people every day. Just begin by asking question after question after question. And eventually you'll find the ones that actually stick with people and actually connect with them. The second is to have a few go-to connector questions in your pocket. And so you can think of different categories of somebody's life, whether that's their history, where they're from, 
or their family life, or you can think about their hobbies or their heroes, and have different questions that in your back pocket to ask in those different areas of life. The last thing is that you can actually plagiarize a good conversationalist. So you can find somebody who's really good at having conversations that you know, and get around them and figure out what they do and just imitate it. I actually found for myself that that's the best way to learn and have good conversations. How to be a good conversationalist is just take the things I'm learning from somebody else and put those into practice in my own life. But I've, what I've found is as I've acted with good, when I've interacted with good conversationalists myself, what I've found is that as they ask me questions, what it makes me feel is that it makes me feel loved, and it makes me feel known, and it makes me feel cared for. And it makes me feel connected to that person. It makes me want to share more in my life. It makes me trust them. What I found is that good questions can be the portal into someone's soul. That you can learn a lot about them. The second thing that a great conversationalist, great conversationalist does is they actually listen attentively. So you not only ask good questions, but actually learn how to be a good listener. And I think listening is actually something that's rare in our culture today. We have so many distractions. We have so much information going on in our head that too often when we listen, we're just listening to give a response instead of listening to understand what the other person's saying. But what I've also found is that when we listen well, people actually tell us much more about our lives than we could ever imagine. And when we listen well, it helps other people feel loved and cared for. And so ultimately, you know, if we want to be good question askers, then we have to be willing to listen to what they're saying and then respond with a question that's appropriate. And the last thing that a, good, a great conversationalist has is that they are relentlessly curious. So when they see people, they see people that actually are worth getting to know their stories. They see people as an endless, um, an, an endless opportunity to get to learn something new. They feel like every person that they interact with is someone that they can learn from. They feel like everyone has a story that's worth sharing, that everyone is incredibly deep. And so for us, we have to be relentlessly curious. And for this, for Philip, what I imagine is for him to remember all these details years later that he had to have asked good questions, that he had to have listened attentively to this man, and he had to be relentlessly curious about what his story was, where he was going, or where he was coming from, and where he was going. But what we also see from Philip is that in getting to know the Ethiopian eunuch, he actually got to know where he was, where he was at spiritually. And what we're about to see is he actually got to share the good news of Jesus in a way that made sense to this Ethiopian eunuch. And so I'm going to read in Acts 8, 32 through 35. It says this. <clears throat> it says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? 
for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? In verse 35, it says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So here we see the eunuch is actually reading Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about Jesus. We can see Philip goes on to explain the good news of Jesus. And as we read, we actually learn that the eunuch experiences this good news in a real and tangible way, in a way that actually causes him to rejoice. So he moves on in verse 36, and it says this, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So the question I have immediately as I read this text is, how did the Ethiopian experience the good news of Jesus as good news for him? I think it's because Philip shared the good news in a way that actually seemed like good news for this eunuch. A little bit of background uh, of the relationship between Judaism and eunuchs. Eunuchs were actually excluded from temple worship. Um, the, ju- the, ju- the Jewish law did not look favorably, favorably upon eunuchs. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23.1, it said that they were excluded from the assembly of God. And so this, you have to imagine this eunuch, he travels up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. This isn't a short travel. Travels, travels up all this way to worship in this temple. And what he would have done, or what he would have seen, is when he walked up to the temple, on the outer courts of that temple, on the wall, there would have been a sign, and it would have said this. It would have said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter here. You can imagine the pain and the disappointment that this eunuch would have had after traveling all this way only to be found out that he's been excluded from worshiping God in the most intimate of ways in the temple with all the other people. So this eunuch buys this scroll, right? Buys this copy of Isaiah traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. This long, painful trip home. He's reading Isaiah 53 out loud. And he gets to this point, and he reads, In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And I imagine, the scripture doesn't say this, so this is a bit of conjecture on my part. I imagine when he reads, In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. I imagine he's thinking about himself. And how humiliating that must have been to go up to the temple to worship God and then to be told you're not allowed. See, Philip would have known all of this as he got to know this Ethiopian eunuch. He would have been really quickly been able to figure out that he wasn't allowed to worship in the temple. This is readily available information for Philip. 
And he reads this text, and I imagine that Philip knew right away what to do and where to go and how to share this gospel, this good news in a way that was relevant to this eunuch. And Philip also would have known that in the same section of Scripture of Isaiah 53, that it would have said this about eunuchs. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5, it says this. It says, Let no foreigner, let no Ethiopian who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Don't miss that. To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. It makes sense to me that Philip would have shared this scripture with this eunuch right after they read this, as he's sharing the good news of Jesus to the eunuch. That he would say to the eunuch, hey, you may have been excluded then, but this is a new era. And Jesus had just made things new. And in this new life, you have a place where you belong. Can you imagine the eunuch hearing this for the first time? Can you imagine how incredible and how incredibly good news this would be to the eunuch who is searching for God, for searching for a family to belong to because he couldn't have a family of his own? We know that it was good news because he walks away rejoicing. In fact, they see some water on the side of the road, and he says to Philip, he says, what's stopping me from being baptized right here? He wanted, he, the gospel is so relevant to his life that he wanted to make an immediate decision. And in verse 39, it says that he walked away rejoicing. And in fact, later we'll find out and, and throughout church history, that this Ethiopian eunuch, this is, uh, yeah, in church history, and he shares the gospel, he shares the good news with his servants, they come to faith, and then he goes back and he shares it with all of Ethiopia, and the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is actually started from this Ethiopian eunuch. That this gospel became so rooted in his life that he couldn't help but sharing this good news with other people. Something that Philip said was so incredibly relevant to this man that it made sense to him in such a way that it changed his life. And so for us, how do we share the good news with our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors in such a way that they walk away rejoicing? The first thing is we have to know their story. We have to discover their stories. That's what these supper clubs are about, is getting to know people, getting to spend time with them, getting to earn trust in their life. And the second thing is we have to emulate Philip. We have to share the good news of Jesus in light of their story. 
See, when people share their stories with us, they're sharing a part of their lives. They're sharing where God is intersecting with them. And then as we learn their life, we begin to share the good news in a way that actually makes sense to them. In his book, The Unbelievable Gospel, John, Jonathan Dotson says this about the good news of Jesus. He says that we possess the most attractive and repelling message on earth, which has been and should be communicated in endless dazzling and mundane ways in order to thrill the human heart, capture the human imagination, and rivet the intellect. Yet all too often, all we can eke out is a single phrase, Jesus died on the cross. Now, I don't read this quote to shame or guilt you in any way. This isn't an indictment on people here. But I do think it's an indictment on the global church as a whole. Not Midtown. I'm not talking about Midtown. I haven't been here long enough to criticize Midtown. But I think the global church as a whole has done a really poor job of teaching ways to share the gospel in ways that make sense to people where they're at in their life. And I think that's something that we have got to get better at. And the reality is that this honestly shouldn't be that difficult for us to be able to contextualize the gospel in light of people's stories. In fact, my daughter, we were watching um, The Force Awakens the other day and as a family, and my daughter's watching it, and there's a scene in there where Kylo Ren, uh, how many people have seen Force Awakens? The Force Awakens? Okay. Or know what it is? Okay. Everybody? Okay. So The Force Awakens, I just saw it for the first time last week, so you have to forgive me. But The Force Awakens, in there, there's a scene where Kylo Ren is actually speaking to the helmet of Darth Vader. I don't know if you guys remember that scene, but he's talking about how he doesn't want to disappoint him, blah, 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 blah. But in the midst of the scene, my daughter, who's like way super empathetic, like goes, oh, poor Darth Vader, he died. And I was like, yeah, it's like really sad. She's like, but he was a good guy at the end. I was like, yeah, he was. She's like, yeah, and, and he died so that his son didn't have to die. She's like, kind of like how Jesus died so that we don't have to die for the bad things that we've done. Right? And I look at my wife, and she looks at me, and we're like, kind of started, like, did we just get Jesus juked by our five-year-old? <laughs> and, and then she goes, but I haven't done any bad things, so... And we're like, man, so close. <laughs> so close. But you get the point of the story. I mean, a five-year-old can figure out how to contextualize Darth, Darth Vader and Star Wars and share the gospel in a way that makes sense to a 35-year-old. Um, but so I, I don't think it's, it's rocket science, but I just don't think it's something that we really think about a lot. Um, but Jonathan Dotson in his book, um, The Unbelievable Gospel, he actually talks about these five gospel metaphors, and I want to talk about them just for a few minutes, and we're not going to go through this. If you guys want them, um, you can feel free to email me, um, josh at midtownaustin.org. Not that difficult. Um, but you can email me, and I'll give it to you. But I'm going to go through the metaphor and then the need. It's right here, up here. And then I'm not going to go through the Bible verses, but there's lots of Bible verses here for it. But the first metaphor, the gospel metaphor, is that union with Christ, that we've been united with Christ. And the need here is intimacy, that we all have this longing and need for intimacy. In fact, babies die without intimacy, without being held, right? We are born and uh, created for connection. And adults do not do well without being connected with others. And then we see Romans 6 and Galatians 2 there speak to that. 
The second gospel metaphor is justification. And the need here is acceptance, that we've all been justified, that no matter what you've done, you've been made clean in Jesus. He who had no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Your sin has been placed on the cross, and you've been fully accepted no matter what you've done. New creation, that we have been made new in Jesus, that there is hope, that no matter what you've done in the past, you have been made new now. Redemption, that God can redeem all things, right? Colossians 1, 13 through 14 talks about this, but that we've been given freedom from our past. We're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And the last one is adoption or family, sense of belonging. Approval is, would be the need here, is that we all long for approval. And in Jesus, we've been given that. We've been given a family, we've been given approval. He says, I, I love you, and I like you too. And so um, what we need to think about is when people are sharing our, their story with us, they probably have one of these needs going on, a need for hope or for intimacy or for acceptance or for freedom or for approval. And we can begin to share the good news of Jesus, the gospel, in light of that. And so if we just spent a few, just a few minutes each day just reading these verses and really taking them in and figuring out how to contextualize the gospel, I think it would take us a long way in our effectiveness of sharing it with others and seeing them rejoice as the gospel speaks to points and pain points in their life and things that they long to be true. What I found in my own life is that most people long for freedom and family. That they feel enslaved by the choices that they're making. Or they feel like they don't have a place where they belong because most of us, just quite frankly, in this day and age, don't grow up in healthy family structures. So we're constantly moving from person to person, trying to get this need for acceptance filled, only to be disappointed every time. And yet we find in Jesus, we find in God as this Father, this good God, who offers freedom and offers family. To those that don't have it and all of us who need it, so I think we have to ask what are the needs of the people that are in our life and then how can we share the good news in light of that I want to end today I want to just share with you guys a little bit of a gospel metaphor Um, it's a story and then we're going to take communion but it's a story from um, a book called Blue Like Jazz that a guy named Donna Miller wrote years ago Um, but in his book Donna Miller tells this story he goes and he sees this folk singer, this guy sing, and um, goes, and in the middle of his set, he tells a story about a friend of his who was a Navy SEAL. And he tells the story of this Navy SEAL. They had this, this um, mission that they were, they were doing in a dark part of the world, and they had, they're going in to rescue these hostages. And so they fly in by helicopter, they drop them off, they go into this compound, and they weave their way through into the compound. And they go into this room, and they bust into this door, and it's dark and filthy inside. And they can't really see anything. But there's a little bit of 
glimmer of light from the outside. And so they can see these silhouettes of these people sitting in a corner, the hostages. And they're, crou- they're crouched down in this corner, hidden, terrified, hiding their faces. And so these Navy SEALs do what's natural to them. They stand at the door and they yell out. They say, hey, we're Americans. We're here to rescue you. Come on, come on. But nothing. They don't respond. These hostages don't respond because they don't believe them. See, they're not in a healthy state of mind. So they can't decipher what's right and what's wrong and who's worthy of being trusted and who isn't because of the abuse that those that have kidnapped them have done to them. And so these Navy SEALs, they're kind of at a crossroads. They realize we can't carry all of these hostages out. That's not plausible. So they're really at a loss of what to do until one of them decides he's going to try something. So this one Navy SEAL, he takes off his helmet, puts down his gun, and he goes up into that dark corner and sits down, crouches down next to one of the hostages and just sits there, putting his body onto theirs and then slowly puts his arm around one of the hostages and just sits there with them for a few minutes. Then he begins to make eye contact with each of the hostages one by one. And these hostages realize as he's doing this that their kidnappers would not have done something like this. And so this Navy SEAL quietly says to them, we're Americans. We're here to rescue you. Will you follow me? And then the Navy SEAL gets up and then slowly, one by one, each of the hostages get, gets up and follows this Navy SEAL out of this dark room. And the story ends with these hostages on this aircraft carrier where these Navy SEALs had come from. And Donna Miller goes on to say this in his book about this story. He says, I never liked it when preachers said we had to follow Jesus. Sometimes they would make him sound angry. But I liked the story the folk singer told I like the idea of Jesus becoming man so that we would be able to trust him. And I like that he healed people and loved them and cared deeply about how people were feeling. See, here's the reality. Jesus came down to earth 2,000 years ago to show us what good, not, good news looked like in real life. And then he died a painful death so that you and I could experience that good news. And so this morning, as we come and take communion, may we be reminded of this Jesus who came to show us what good news looks like and died for us. And my hope and prayer is that for those of you in this room that don't know Jesus or are struggling with who he is, that you would see him for who he is the God who radically loves you, who gave everything, gave his most precious possession so that you could experience the good news.
Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this story of Philip and this eunuch. For this example of someone who's willing to step into somebody else's story. Get to know who, as, who he got to know who this eunuch was and figure out where he's at spiritually and then shared the good news of who you are in light of his story. God, I pray that we would put this into practice in our own lives, that we would find people profoundly interesting. God, that we would see people as um, people that are worth getting to know. God, I pray that we would see everybody's story, and that you would give us even supernatural eyes to see where you're interacting with them. And I pray that you would allow us to see how to share your good news in a way that makes sense to them and brings joy to their life. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen.